This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveller, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Samantha Ruiz. What an incredible millennial. Sam is the co-founder of Well Travelled, the New York-based data company that uses machine learning to translate big data into audience insights for travel brands and content creators worldwide. Sam has used her extensive experience in ad tech and influencer marketing to lead the Well Travelled team as CEO since its launch back in 2016. Sam was recently featured as one of Ali Watch's New York City Women in Tech. I had the absolute pleasure of sitting down and speaking with Sam in New York City and learning of her journey and her story to becoming a millennial entrepreneur. Take a listen. Sam, welcome to the Peers Project. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Cool. So, you know, you reached out to us when you heard about us through NextGen. Yeah. And, you know, here in the States. And I remember looking you up on LinkedIn, actually, (laughs) as soon as I got your email. And what struck me about your LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. you know, apart from all the incredible work you've done and that you're doing, um, was actually your background photo. So (laughs) your background photo is a photo that says work harder. And like, you know, cool neon blue, like, Print. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, before we go into your work, I just, I'd love, I'm really curious to know, you know, where your you know, work harder mentality comes from and how it, has, how it has actually impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I'm definitely one of those people who are almost borderline obsessive with work. <laughs> um, I, I start working on something and, you know, I'm not one that can like step away to de-stress. I have to figure it out. So I've always been someone who sees a problem and I want to solve it and I want to solve it like right now. So that's always been how I approached everything and kind of how I ended up falling into this is I saw a problem in uh, data and travel and the industry and it was something that I wanted to solve like right now. <laughs> yeah. So now yeah. we are. Okay, okay cool. Cool, yeah. nice. So did that show up for you when you were younger as well? So like, let's just say when you were like five years old and, <laughs> you know, you were playing around in the dirt yeah. and then, you know, you fixated on something and thought, you know, I've got to solve it. Did that ever show up for you at an early age? I, I think definitely, yes. Okay. Um, I've always been kind of like that 100% person or like on the other spectrum, like 0%. Like if I didn't like something or didn't want to do it, then I was like not about it. Like my dad tried to get me to do like Taekwondo when I was younger and I 
would like pout until he like finally gave up and didn't make me practice anymore. But on the other side, if it was something that I was super passionate about and driven about, like I would not stop. I wouldn't put it down. I, I would be completely focused on it until I, I figured it out or solved it or whatever it was. Yeah, great. Can yeah. you give us an example of something like that that you, that you like fixated on? Yeah, 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 definitely. So I cheered all through, um, you know, middle school, high school, college too. And, um, you know, there's certain tasks that you have to like, accomplish you know you have to you know get a back handspring or a backflip or whatever it is and so you know I, I obviously wanted to be on varsity I was like you know 13 years old like this little like really like skinny like girl <laughs> who had like no muscle mass <laughs> and I was like you know I, I want this this is this is like what I want so um you know normally to make the team you would need a like a back tuck or backflip and God knows I had no idea how to do one. <laughs> um, but I remember just being like, all right, well, if that's what I have to do, then I'm going to do it. Yeah. And I just started like throwing, literally just throwing myself into the air <laughs> until I could figure it out. And like there were days that I would come home from practice and my knees would be so swollen from landing on them over and over again oh that God. I couldn't even like put jeans on. Like it was really bad. Definitely not like the safe way to go. But eventually I cracked it and I was like one of the first, the youngest people who could do it. And it was just like something that I was always really proud of and definitely borderline obsessed with <laughs> until I figured it out. But yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow. There you go. Yeah. Okay. So then, you know, if we go through more of your progression, so, you know, we st- let's just do a deep dive into like yeah. your early years all the way through. So, you know, from early on, it seems like having looked through, you know, what you've done in the past, it seems yeah. like travel was always a big thing for you. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think learning about different cultures and I, you know, I did see that you went a- abroad mm-hmm. um, to France to yep, study, I did. Um, which I find personally super cool <laughs> because... I've actually done the same thing at, at oh, one point. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I can, I can totally relate, but I, I would love to know, I'm curious to know how, you know, that time overseas, like broadened, broadened your perspective on the world and like, yeah. changed your view on the world. Yeah. So when I first studied abroad, uh, it was like my sophomore year and that was my first real experience. Like I had traveled abroad before and, you know, I went to France previously when I was like 16 with a bunch of girlfriends and, all that, but this was my first time, like, really immersing myself in something new. Like, I was living with a host family, and I was, you know, with all these other students that I had never met before, and I was completely out of my comfort zone. And I remember, like, my first night there just being like, okay, what do I do now? Like, so scared, you know? Like, you, you're you sitting in your host family's, like, your bedroom, and you're just like, okay, like, I'm completely alone in this country. Um, but I think after you get over that initial fear, you really begin to embrace everything that's around you. You embrace the cultures, you know, the food, um, you know, everyone that you, you're meeting. And it, it completely changes your perspective on everything. So that was my first time, I think, completely letting go of who I had been prior to, you know, that, you know, I grew up in a small town. Everybody kind of went on to be like teachers or, you know, normal professions for, you know, a small town in Michigan. Um, and all of those expectations that kind of came with that, you know, a lot of people in the Midwest get married really young or um, start families or buy a house. And there's probably a handful of us that have kind of left that that mentality away and went to do, do something different. And studying abroad for me was my first time kind of experiencing different cultures and seeing that like I could do something different and I didn't have to do this life that is kind of expected of you 
originally. Um, so that was very eye-opening for me to kind of see other people doing all these amazing things and, you know, get a taste of what I could do eventually. Yeah, wow. Yeah. There you go. So talk to me a bit about, so you said obviously you grew up in a f- small town. Yeah. So, and obviously everyone progressed to do the normal profession. Yes. So were, were you ever pressured to do that by your parents? Did your parents think, you know, come on, Sam, yeah. you're going to be a teacher, <laughs> lawyer, which one are you going to be? Yeah. yeah. Um, no, not really. I don't think that, they were always very like open to me doing whatever. I think they maybe wanted me to be a little bit closer to home sometimes. Um, I lived in California for a little bit. I think that was kind of far. Um, But aside from that, I think they always kind of hoped I would do something really exciting. Um, They had lived like in New York City for a long time. And so they they had always kind of been in the the bigger lifestyle, I guess. Um, But it was more so like everyone else it's weird when you see like all of your friends do one thing and then you kind of do something completely different and you're like, all right, well, this is weird. <laughs> what am I doing? Um, so that I think it's more so that side as opposed to like the family. Okay, yeah. there you go. Okay, so let's talk a bit about your, you know, your working in LA and I yeah. also think it was Chicago. Yep. So obviously after France and you came, was it your first, when you came back from France, mm-hmm. And you went to Chicago, was that after high, after university? Or, yeah. Okay. So I did my undergrad at Michigan State. During that time, I went to France, um, came back, then I did my master's degree at Michigan State, and then I went to Chicago. Right. Yeah. Okay. Talk to us a little bit about that. So obviously moving to a brand new city, yeah. a big city compared mm-hmm. to Michigan where you grew up, yep. and, you know, everyone's kind of doing their own thing. Everyone's on their own path. Did you feel lost at all at some points? How was the, you know, how did you settle in? To yeah. Like so my experience in Chicago was interesting. Um, <laughs> it was really cool. I was in a new city. It was like the glitzy thing to do, you know? I felt like I was like this cool kid. Um, but yeah, it was my first time like working in a real career too. So I was working in advertising um, and I was on a, a really big account for us and it was amazing. It was such a cool experience. I had no idea what I was doing 90% of the time, but I was learning so much. Um, you know, every day it was like a new challenge and something new to learn about the industry. Um, but we lost that account pretty quickly. So um, I got on, I think probably about three or four months later, the account went under review and Soon after that, we lost it, um, along with the other really big account in that office. So the entire office closed down. Yeah, so it was definitely, I, I definitely felt lost at times in that um, because it's really weird and really surreal to be in a position where everybody that you work with is looking for new jobs together. And you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, this is my first year, like, doing a job. And now, like, we lost the account and I don't like, maybe this isn't right for me. Maybe this isn't what I should be doing. Um, and I had those moments, but I think what it also taught me was that I loved like the media and the, the digital elements of it. Like I really enjoyed the programmatic and the problem solving and all of that. Um, and it wasn't the glitzy part of advertising that I liked. It was kind of like the hard problems to solve and going through that really tough time allowed me to realize that and focus on that and kind of reevaluate where I want to spend my the rest of my career. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Okay. Jeez, I can't even imagine what that would yeah. have felt like. Just <laughs> literally, like me, myself, I'm about to graduate at the end of this year mm-hmm. and I can't even imagine going into a job next year and loving it and then all, all of a sudden, yeah. hey, you know what, it's just not happening anymore. So talk to me a bit about 
after that time and mm-hmm. you were obviously quite confused but you knew that you loved some elements of the yeah. job what was the search for a new job like yeah so fortunately the company I was with was really great um, and they gave me a new position but it was in LA so for that was a really easy transition for me they were they helped a lot of people um, find jobs where they could and supported them in their search so that was fantastic um, but as I was looking for that, you know, they were also open to me looking for other positions. And so I kind of explored a different, few different avenues. I thought about going into ad tech right away. Um, I interviewed with a couple different companies, talked to them about the positions, um, and then I talked to a few different agencies as well. What attracted me to the role in LA um, was the fact that it was a difficult or like a not sexy, I guess, account. Like it was on a mattress account, which to most people, it doesn't seem very exciting, but I kind of loved how they were trying to revolutionize the business using, you know, the digital world. Um, it's a very, and I'm sure, you know, a lot of people have seen now with like Casper and all of these other mattress, you know, newcomers um, have completely changed how mattresses are bought. When I started on this, the account, um, those were like not even really around yet. They were just beginning. So it was a really cool time to be in this industry that was being completely disrupted and working on solving these big problems that really had a huge impact on the the company. Yeah, wow. So were you thrown into the deep end then? Did they go, Sam, here you go, <laughs> figure it out? Um, sometimes, yeah. It, it would be... Um, you would be evaluating, you know, newcomers into the industry and you'd be like, all right, Casper, what are they doing? Tell us, how, how can we fix what we're doing? And you're just like, well, um, I've been out of my job or college for about a year now. So here's my humble opinion. Um, but it, it was really cool. It kind of taught me a lot about, you know, researching competitors and understanding how market spend impacts things. And, you know, a lot of the things that I'm doing now, um, I have the knowledge of how to approach them because of that time and that job. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So living in LA compared to living in Chicago, yeah. what was what was that like? Uh, so it was very different. <laughs> I moved to LA and I knew nobody. Um, I knew my roommates who I had met on an app for roommates. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was basically like Tinder, but for roommates. Um, <laughs> And we all met for the first time, like literally moving into the apartment. So <laughs> it was um, it was weird, um, and it was a completely new city. Obviously, LA is interesting. I think it has a bit of a bad rep at times, um, but I loved it. Like my first six months there, I was completely in love. Like you are on the beach all the time. <laughs> like I lived in Santa Monica, so I was literally steps from the beach. The weather's amazing. Um, you're in this exciting new job, but after that six months, I would say it kind of wore off and I, the reality of everything kind of hit me and I was like, okay, I'm literally in the city and I don't know anyone. I don't have like this core friend group anymore. Um, and that was really hard. And I think that the challenge with LA is that it's so spread out that it makes it really hard to find like your, your friend group, like that core group of people that you can really depend on. And it took me probably about eight months, I would say, to find that group of people. So I went from like really loving it to like really not liking it to really loving it again. And then I moved. Okay, <laughs> so, right. yeah. Yep. So how do you deal with those kind of emotions when you're obviously trying to do well at work, yeah. but then also settle in and you're just not feeling it? You are, totally. you might. Yeah, that's, that's something that's really challenging. I think that you have to find ways to kind of go out of your comfort zone a little bit. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time with my coworkers, so I went out with them all the time and fortunately met other people through that, um, as well as, like, 
I did things that like are completely not normal for me. Like I played flag football. Like I don't play flag football, but it was like great because I met people and it was a really fun time. Um, so you kind of have to find ways to like step out of your comfort zone where you're not like completely freaking out, but enough in a new way that you're meeting new people that you might not normally meet. Mm, okay. Yeah. I see. Okay. So after that then, so after LA, you moved to a different company, Quantcast, is that correct? Yep. Yeah. So that was so, in LA. Oh, that was in LA. Yeah. Right. So what? why the move? What happened there? Yeah. So I had been working on the mattress account for probably about two years at this point, And I still loved it. It was really interesting, but I felt like I was running into the same problems over and over and over again. And I was getting a little burnt out. Um, but I was so loyal to the agency I was working at that I didn't want to go to another agency. I they had treated me so well. They had, you know, really taken care of me when I, with the Chicago to LA transition. Um, but I knew I needed something different because I was beginning to like, not like what I was doing anymore. And I didn't like that feeling. So I had always been intrigued by the ad tech side of things and the programmatic and the data and, you know, using really, um, like hard numbers to support your decisions in a creative field. And so, um, Quantcast was a company that had always attracted, been attractive to me because the data approach that they took to ad tech was really interesting. Um, so I went to work with them, I think probably, I guess, January. Um, so it was about two years after I'd been working on the mattress account. Okay. okay. Yeah. How did your background at, in the, at the agency help you with the tech side of things? Yeah. So it was actually really great. Um, I think that if you are an ad tech and you haven't worked on an agency side or even like on a client side, you don't always get the perspective or understand the problems in that full scope. You know, you just see a very, very small portion of what's going on. Um, so it makes it really hard to make good recommendations or solve problems proactively um, because you just don't have that background that you would have if you were on the agency side of things. Fortunately, since I had such an agency background, I was able to approach problems and kind of understand the background just intuitively because I had been in that seat before. Um, so it really helped me kind of put myself in somebody else's shoes and solve a problem with my new role um, at Quantcast. Mm. Were you client-facing? You- um, so at Quantcast, I talked to clients a couple times, but mostly I was agency facing. Mm. Yeah. And you said that problem solving is the, the reason why you liked it so much. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I loved that element of it. Mm. I loved um, being really close to the data and having a lot of control of exactly how the targeting worked. Um, I, I got exposed to a whole new layer of the industry that I didn't really understand before. Like on the agency side, you don't really get exposed to like the bidding and the really technical elements of programmatic anymore because they're managed by somebody else. Um, and at Quantcast, even though I wasn't managing those elements myself, I was close to it. I was always talking to the people who were doing it. We were making dis- decisions on you know how to bid and you know what we wanted to pay for things and all of that. Um, and so that was really interesting, and it definitely gave me kind of a more round. Um, view of the industry. Yeah, sure. Okay, so let's progress from that. So 
I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, so from Jan 2016 all the way through to early this year, you went, um, you actually progressed to three different jobs in three different companies. Is, yeah. that, is that right? Yeah. yeah. So talk <laughs> me through that process. And, you know, it seemed to me that you were really trying to find your feet. You were really yeah. trying to figure out what worked for you. And, you know, aren't we all? Yeah. Um, something I really identified with that kind of a few months here, a few months there. So I guess I want to know, you know, how you felt during this time and what your thought process was and your, I guess, emotions were as you progressed through the different roles. Yeah. So um, Quantcast, we kind of touched on. That was the first job that I had. And eventually what I realized was that I didn't like not having all of the information. So what I just talked about, about what gave me like the edge at Quantcast about, you know, being able to put myself in somebody else's shoes, that did help, but I still didn't have access to all the data that I wanted. Like I had all of Quantcast's information, but I didn't have the agency, like all the other partners they were working with. I didn't have the view into like what their conversations were with the clients. And I I didn't like that. So um, I quit that job (laughs) and I was kind of discouraged, I would say, when that happened because I felt like I was getting burnt out of the agency life before and then working at Quantcast on the ad tech side wasn't really it for me either. And I it kind of made me feel like I didn't know where I felt in the agency anymore, in the industry. And so um, that was actually when I went to Asia. Ah. Yeah, so... Um, I quit in the summer and then that summer I flew to like I think the next day <laughs> I flew to Bali. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay, progressive. Yep. So I went to Bali and um I went to a coding camp and I learned how to code. Yeah. In so, Bali. In Bali. Yep. So <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like an insane story when I look back on it. Um <laughs> I yeah, so I quit, um, flew to Bali, went to a coding camp and learned to code and it was amazing. Like it was another situation where you're with all of these people who have these huge dreams and these huge goals from all over the world. And um, talking to someone from like Australia, for instance, who is starting their own design agency and working on these clients, like she was working on like Rolex and really amazing clients and she was just doing it. And, you know, talking to people who just kind of like let go of any barriers and they're like yeah I just decided to go for it one day and that was really inspirational to me because even though you know while I was in France I had been kind of had a similar um I guess realization this was an, a whole nother level and I think after being in the career field for a little bit and then seeing like you don't have to be unhappy at your job if you don't want to be you can just change jobs and seeing that people were actually doing that and making those changes to their lives was amazing um so I did that uh, for about two weeks. Um, I was there with the program was called Institute of Code, and it was amazing. Um, and then I progressed to travel throughout Asia for a little bit. Um, I got back in, it must have been like, I guess two months later or so, um, and I got back to New York uh, because with Quantcast, <laughs> right before I quit, I was supposed to transfer to New York City. And so I already had an apartment lined up. <laughs> So I came to New York um, and just started like working at you know the obvious job because I had an apartment and responsibilities to pay for, um, and that was back at, on the agency side. And I think I went into it thinking like, okay, maybe I just needed space, and maybe I I will get back to it, and I'll realize all the reasons why I loved it, and I'll be really happy. And that wasn't the case. I I got to it, and I was like, no, all the reasons that I left are very valid. I there are reasons why I'm not in this industry anymore. And so um, 
I was really like not happy with that position. Um, it just wasn't the right fit for me. Um, and meanwhile, I was still talking to Isaac, who's my now co-founder. Um, and we were still in this ideation phase of what we wanted to do. We had worked really well together in Bali. He was actually a mentor at the Institute of Code program. Um, and so we were like Skyping every day, chatting on WhatsApp or you know Slack or whatever it was, and talking about this you know thing that we wanted to create. We just weren't really sure what it was yet. And so um, I left my job at the agency, and Isaac flew from Australia to New York City in November, and um, we basically just like buckled down for two weeks and just like worked through all the problems and everything that we wanted to do and tried to like figure out what it was. And those two weeks were really amazing, um, really scary because you're just like, I literally have no idea what I'm doing right now. Um, but it was really cool. Like we started talking to like entrepreneurs in the city and, you know, we talked to like some like investors and all of these people, um, just to kind of get an idea for, for what we were doing. And, um, eventually we kind of got to where, you know, we felt like we had a product or like the idea of a product, I guess. Um, he went back to Sydney, um, after that, those two weeks and said that, you know, the plan was for him to move back here. Uh, in March, he had to like close out some stuff. He was running his own um, design and dev agency in Sydney. Um, so he had to like close out his life there. Um, and in the meantime, I started working at another agency job just to, you know, pay the bills while I was there. Um, so I was freelancing actually at an agency. Yeah. As a, a director on another mattress account, actually <laughs> full circle. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I, there's a lot that comes from that. Yeah. So many questions <laughs> yeah. running through my head. So I think if we just back up to your time in Asia, when you first like, yep. you got there, you went to Bali as well. Mm-hmm. That's so far from the States. Yeah. It's very interesting that you chose that. So yeah. firstly, you know, why did you choose Bali? And and then I'd love to know, I'm interested to know how you so confidently quit your job and the next day you were on a plane. Yeah. You know, like, you know, I know people around me, even myself included, there have been times where I know I don't like my job and then <laughs> I just stay in it and, you know, I keep not liking it and to find the courage to quit yeah. is so hard for so many people. So, you know, what advice would you give and how did you do that? Yeah, so I think that it kind of goes back to what I said about my personality where I'm like either 100% or I'm like, no, this isn't right and I'm not going to do it, um, which obviously it can have its downsides. Um, but this was a situation where I was like, this isn't right for me. And I know I can do something better. Like, and I always knew, like I had done really well in the agency world. I always knew I could go back to an agency and be perfectly fine. So it wasn't like, I didn't think I would find a new job. I always knew I could find something else. Um, but I knew that that one wasn't right for me. And I felt like if I don't leave right now, I will kind of put the company in a really bad position because they'll be moving me to New York City and they'll put me on new clients and then they'll have to find a new person for that job. And I didn't want to screw over the company either. So it was kind of like I have to leave right now before it progresses too far in one way or the other. Um, so I kind of sat down with them and I just told them like, hey, like I don't want to screw you over, but I'm I don't I'm not going to move to New York City um, with you guys. So. I wanted to tell you now so that way nobody, you know, gets in a bad position and you can find the right people for the right right roles and all of that. Um, and on the, the other hand of that, I had been looking, like, I as I've mentioned, I really liked the technical aspects of things. Like, I really liked the digital element of media. And um, I was kind of doing some research into, like, how I could further that skill of mine. And 
what I kept running into was like, learn coding, learn how to code, learn how to program. And I was like, oh, that'd be really cool. But you know, like I'm not technical. Like I don't, I'm not good at math. Like that's really hard. Like I don't think I can do that. And I kept reading these things and they're like, it's not that hard. Like you can do it. Like you just have to put your mind to it. And I was like, I don't know. I don't want to like go take like a 10 week course here. Like I don't have like $10,000 to go invest in a program for it. And I'm, I've never been one to be able to sit down on a computer and be like, all right, I'm going to learn this now. Um, so I found this program, Institute of Code, and they do like a two-week immersive course in Bali. And they had a program coming up. It was like five, like a week or two after I had found out about it. So I was like, okay, this starts in two weeks. Um, that's pretty cool. So maybe this is like perfect timing. And um, so I talked to the program and they were like, yeah, we would love to have you. Like it, it would be really great. And I was like thinking about it and it just felt really right to me. It felt like the right time. It felt like the right opportunity. The next program for some reason wasn't for like a few more months. And I was like, okay, like maybe this is just like perfect. And so all of that information kind of gave me the confidence to just quit and walk away and just be like, all right, I think I'll be fine. I think I can do it. Um, and at the end of the day, I just had to have that confidence in myself and in what I was doing, um, that it would work out. So, yeah. Okay. Very interesting. So I guess, do you think people can learn that or develop that confidence? You say that you're someone who just, they're all in or they're all out, (laughs) but you know, can, can, I don't know, people like myself or peers out there learn that? I think, I definitely think it's something that you can learn. I don't think I've always been, you know, quite like, you know, I've always been all in or all out, but to the point where it's like my career, obviously I've always had concerns about it. And I try to be a little bit conservative with those decisions. Um, But I think that you just have to develop that confidence in yourself and the driving force behind it, you know, just to quit and not really know what you're going to do next. Like, that's really scary. But if you're quitting and you're like, okay, I'm going to, you know, develop a new skill, which is how I justified it for myself. Um, I'm going to develop a new skill and then I can either come back to this or I won't. Like, that's fine. Um, Maybe I'll go a completely different route. Um, But understanding kind of the underlying factor, I think is the most important thing. And I think the reason people get caught up in, you know, not leaving a job because they're unhappy is because they don't always identify the cause of that unhappiness or what they want to do next. Um, And I'm not saying you have to have it all figured out by any means, but kind of understanding, having a better idea of why you're unhappy or where you want to go will definitely give you that confidence in making those moves. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Very good advice. Um, okay, so then when you got to Bali <laughs> and, you know, ages away from home, yep. boiling, I'm guessing, as yep. it always is, <laughs> and, you know, you, you're doing coding. Yeah. What was that? Was it as challenging as you thought? Like, how was that experience? Yeah, so it was definitely challenging at times. I went from being, like, really good at what I was doing before um, to a complete novice at something. (laughs) And I think everyone at some point in time wanted to throw their computers into, like, the pool or into a rice paddy or something. Um, Fortunately, we didn't. But uh, it it was definitely challenging. There were times where I was kind of testing new new skills of my own, you know, like thinking logically about something that I would have never really thought about before. Um, but for me, it was actually like amazing. I loved it. And it turns out that it's something that I wish I knew more about now. Um, because it's really like instant. The gratification for it is like very fast. Like, you know, you're doing something wrong immediately because like the site falls down and you're just <laughs> like, oh, not again. Um, or if you're doing something right, it like all works. And you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. Um, so it ended up being something that I really loved. 
um, and something that I do every once in a while now, not as much as I would like, but um, it, it was definitely new and I've never been in a situation where I'm working on something and you get that instant gratification. So that was really cool for me. Like if I'm working a spreadsheet, it's not like, congratulations, <laughs> you did everything right. Yeah. Like yeah. all of your budgets are balanced. Yeah. You're, you're killing it. Like that doesn't happen. So it was, it was really cool to have something that's like, oh, it works. Like <laughs> I don't have to test it in any other ways. Like it's working. This is amazing. Wow. So good. So yeah. good. And then you met your partner, Isaac there. So your yep. business partner. So was that just through chats? Were you, how did you come up with the, even the problem? How did you see the problem? Of the, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. um, Isaac and I, he was one of the mentors of the program. So he wasn't my mentor, <laughs> um, but he was like a mentor there. And for some reason I just kept like going to him with problems and I'd be like, Oh, I can't get this to work. And he would sit down with me and map it out and be like, okay, like let's solve it. And we just ended up working out really well together and um we worked on a couple other things while we were there and it just all went really smoothly and so we also became really really good friends um and I think that was the the first thing like when I I continued to travel after Bali and I would be texting him or whatsapping him or whatever and I'd be like do you think we could create this and it was like basically TripAdvisor but not TripAdvisor (laughs) and he was like I mean, we could in theory, and you know that's kind of like our first idea. And fortunately, we're not going down that path because SEO. <laughs> um, uh, but you know, he he would like bounce ideas off of me, and we could chat about it. And it was amazing. Um, and then eventually, it kind of became something that we wanted to solve. And so where it really started was I was traveling, and um, you know, talking to him still. And I kept working with these travel brands and they would be really great and they'd be really cool. But, you know, they're these little tiny like mom and pop shops that no one knows about. And people like give you recommendations to travel through Asia. They're like, go down the street with the yellow brick and then, you know, three doors on the left of that. There's like this weird like storefront walk in it. And you're just like, this is the shadiest recommendation I've ever gotten in my life. Um, But it really bothered me that these brands didn't have a better way to market themselves. And the problem with travel is that you know, the big incumbents, you know, Expedia, Travelocity, Priceline, you know, all of those big players, their marketing budgets are huge. So they can spend billions of dollars a year on Google, which they do, and make it almost impossible for you to find out about these smaller players in the space because they obviously cannot compete with those budgets. Um, so as a result, these smaller players, these small brands don't know how to market themselves and they don't have a way to reach their consumers and they honestly just don't even know who their consumers are. And that really saddened me because I felt like there was a really, there's some really great experiences out there that you can have that aren't necessarily number one, two or three on TripAdvisor and nobody knows about them. And so we were talking, we're like, how do we fix this problem? What can we do? And so that's really how we start with Well Travel, this thinking like, okay, there, how can we make it this data, this information more accessible. What can we do to create that? And um, obviously we continue to talk until we kind of found out a way. Sure. Okay. Yeah, well, so it really just came from the from your experience. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely okay. my experience. And um, my time in media also mm-hmm. helped me know that, you know, the data that is out there today doesn't have that answer either so it was kind of both um fortunately I already had like a view into it um but yeah my experience and Isaac's had the same experiences even us when we were in Bali together kind of saw that over and over again too yeah yeah okay interesting okay so let's get into your work then yeah so obviously you've talked about how it came about what the problem is you're solving but how did you go from 
you know, thinking, okay, this is just an idea I have <laughs> to, okay, I'm going to pursue this and literally like come back to New York, Isaac's going to move over. Like how yeah. did you go from one to the other? Um, so I think that two weeks that he came to New York was a big step for us. Um, we knew that we had a problem. We knew we wanted to solve it. We had no idea how we were going to solve that problem. Um, but we were both really excited about it and really passionate about it. So he came over and we just kind of started talking and continued to talk and continue to brainstorm and continue to evolve this concept until all of a sudden it felt like there was something growing and it was up to us whether or not we wanted to hop on or not. It was like, it wasn't like we were like, oh my God, we want to be entrepreneurs. Let's like start a business. It was like, okay, there's like this, this concept and like, we don't really have a choice because it's already <laughs> growing right now. Um, and so it was really like natural thing. I think, um, I, I don't think there was ever a day where we were like, let's be founders. Like there was never a conversation. There was never like this formal like decision making. Um, it was all of a sudden, like we look back and I don't think that we could pinpoint a moment in which it happened. It just all of a sudden was there. <laughs> okay. So what do you do when you, you realize it's there and you're like, okay, now yeah. I have to do this. Yeah. So we started talking, um, about timelines, uh, Isaac coming over me going out to Australia for a few weeks to work with him. Um, kind of just started putting things in place and we're like, all right, we know we need to do like everything. <laughs> um, here are the elements of that. And let's like figure out when things need to be crossed off. Um, we knew we need to get like a data scientist. You know, Isaac is a developer. I have a marketing background where we were starting a data company. <laughs> um, so we're like, all right, we need somebody who like is really good with data. Um, and so we started like interviewing people and people wanted to work with us. People wanted to thought we were solving an amazing problem and just wanted to like get their hands dirty with it. And that was, I think, a really big moment for us to see like, okay, we now have like this team around us and people who believe in what we're doing and this idea and are like sacrificing their time and, you know, whatever else um, to help us with this. And that was kind of like the big, I think, moment for both of us to think about. Um, and then Isaac, you know, moved here and then we're like, okay, neither of us have jobs anymore. <laughs> we need to we need to start progressing on this so we can kind of eventually go for our first round. So that's where we are right now. Okay, wow. So how yeah. long was that process? Yeah, so he moved here in March. Um, so I would say November to March, it was like building, building teams, figuring out what we wanted to do, redoing our website like 500 times. Um you know, and building kind of like the the growth and the people who wanted to be part of what we were doing. Um, so March, he moved over. And then from there, it's been really working on the technical details, like getting the product working, um, getting the users that had signed up to be part of it actually onboarded onto the pro program. Um, and so that's kind of like where we are right now in September, we're going for our first round. So that'll be a very different, um, very different time, I think. Right now, I'm very busy, like working on, you know, decks and budgets for the millionth time and looking at headcounts and all of those sort of things. Um, so now we have like a real deadline, I think. And before it's been like, we have these deadlines, but they're like, they're flexible, you know, nobody's like really dying for, any, for anything right now. Um, but now with you know, us going for funding and us being like, all right, we want to pay the people that are working for us. We want to kind of advance the product further. We want all of this. Um, we have like that first real like timeline for ourselves. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So exciting. Yeah. <laughs> so exciting. So I want to go a bit deeper into 
what you're actually doing. Yeah, so of course. you say on your website that well-traveled uses machine learning to turn big data into small data. You say that, you know, we provide travel level, level analytics mm-hmm. to cons- um, customer centric marketers. So talk yep. us through that yeah, of course. big to small data. So I like to think of it as we're answering the question who. So all the analytics tools, you know, there's quite a few. Google Analytics, the biggest one. Um, but from there, Kissmetrics, Mixpanel, Heap, um, they all talk about how your site is being used, how people are going from site page A to page B and then eventually converting. Are they abandoning your shopping cart, whatever. Our data is completely on answering who is doing what on your page. So um, perhaps people on, you know, your article about New York City are really interested in luxury travel, but your people, people on your article about Iceland are really interested in budget travel. Answering those customer level questions is really important to us because it will allow you to differentiate yourself as a brand. So maybe understanding, um, the really in-depth insights from a travel perspective about what drives your consumer. And this is our product goes for, you know, content creators or brands, um, but drives your, who is driving those readers, that audience on your page, um, will allow you to better talk to them, will allow you to create better partnerships, it'll allow you to have better marketing. Um, Maybe you can use our data to create or go for more long tail keywords to better compete in like the SEO and SEM games so that way you're not competing against the Expedias or Pricelines of the world, um, all of those sort of things. And how we're doing that is we're looking at the travel path to purchase from the, from day one. So the travel path to purchase is normally about you know 81 days, and you visit 38 different sites before you book a travel experience. And we don't think that's going to change. We think that, you know, travelers love researching travel, which makes sense. You know, you want to make sure you're getting the experience you want. But as a result, what happens is that these travel brands and these content creators only get to see a very, very small portion of your travel journey. They only get to see, you know, your your booking or, you know, you visit Hilton.com and that's it. They only see that element of it. And we think that that leaves them in the dark a lot. They don't get to understand the fact that, yeah, you didn't, you're booking an Iceland trip now, but you started looking at Alaska and Canada and eventually decided on Iceland. But what made you kind of make those decisions? How did things go in and out of your purchase, you know, your consideration set? And so those are the questions that we're trying to answer. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Very in depth. Yeah. Okay. How do you get yourself to that point? Yeah. So basically what we do is we partner with sites from across the entire path to purchase. And instead of just looking at their conversion data, which is currently how data works, like you don't really count as anything until you make a purchase or you click on something or add something to your cart. Um, We think that with travel, so much happens before that. You do so much research, you read a million reviews and you read three blog posts and, you know, all of that happens. So we're partnering at the beginning. We're partnering with those those early stage sites, those review sites, those blog posts, those publishers. And we've created a piece of machine learning that can read a page and say, okay, this page is about, you know, Alaska, luxury travel, outdoor travel, um, kayaking, glacier hiking, whatever it is. And then Michelle visited this page. So Michelle is interested in these topics. And then the next page that you read, let's say it's only about luxury travel. Then we can say, okay, Michelle's more interested in luxury travel than these other topics. And we begin to understand your preference by what you're reading rather than just what you're clicking and converting on. Okay. Jeez, that's 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 very cool. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, we, we think so. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so 
also, how do you mentally get yourself there? How do you go so deep into a problem that you realise that you want to partner with blog, you know, yeah. people write travel blogs? Well, so my experience has been really beneficial to this situation. Um, I worked at Quantcast, as you know, which is a really fantastic data company in itself. Um, and they, similar to a lot of other data companies, partner with third-party data providers and then model their data off of third party it's like becomes this huge web of like modeled off of lookalike modeling things and um, as a result it it is a little bit less you know it can be less accurate it can be a little bit more stale um, it can not go as in depth as you would want it to so if you look on any data company's website and you try to find out information about travel it'll say has traveled in the past six months and you're like that's not really answering anything about what they prefer from a travel preference. And um, so I noticed that uh, kind of across my entire media journey, I worked on a couple travel accounts while I was in advertising. So that was something I noticed, but didn't really like put any thought to. And then when I was, or when Isaac and I were kind of looking at this problem, we realized that if we put the data into the hands of these brands, of the small and medium sized brands, as well as the large ones, um, they can start to really empower, or they can be empowered to really take hold of their marketing and really do something great with it. Um, so we're not looking to, you know, we're not creating an ad tech company right now. We're not doing any of that. We're solely a data company, and we really just want to put these answers into the hands of the people who need them and give them the, the opportunity to kind of level the playing ground. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Very cool. So what would you say to someone who, you know, maybe has just finished up with uni mm -hmm. and they've got all these ideas of what they want to do yeah. and they're not too sure. And you obviously you keep referring back to your time at the, um, you know, at like Quantcast and, and things yeah. like that. And so, you know, would you say just go out there, get about two years experience and that's enough? Like how do you, yeah. how did you know you'd learn enough? Yeah, I don't think there's ever... I think if you look for the word enough, you're mm. always going to be looking. Um, at a point, you just have to kind of, like, jump, and you're like, all right, mm. we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Either I'm going to fail or I'm not, yeah. um, and I'm okay with that. Uh, but I think that I found my experience, my corporate experience, very beneficial to what I'm doing. And I think that, you know, from a building teams perspective, from interviewing, from, you know, looking at budgets, from understanding how much things cost, um, understanding the problem for me, that really helped me. Um, there's obviously a ton of entrepreneurs who just go straight from college, and I applaud them as well. And um, I think you just have to kind of have the the balls to do it, you know? I, I don't think that there's an enough question because if you go after that, there's always something more you can do. There's always another thing that you have to check off the list. There's always, you know, another thing that you have to research or whatever it might be. And, oh, I don't have enough money saved quite yet. And those problems are always going to be there. Um, it's more so just, you know, are you mentally ready to take that leap? And if so, then go for it. Um, I... I do think that corporate experience is really beneficial just because it did teach me a lot, but not everyone needs it. So it, it really does depend kind of on the person. And just to reiterate, to the person who is in their job, they don't yeah. like it, and they're in corporate, and they're like, what, what would you say to them? Um, if you're in a job and you don't like it, I would say figure out what you, either why you don't like it or what you want to do, and just do it. Like, you 
definitely can make that change in your life. You just have to kind of have the courage in yourself to do it. And you can and will succeed in whatever you really put your mind to. So I love that. I love that, Sam. (laughs) Okay. So I just want to take a moment to just appreciate and um, just applaud you on you yourself and your journey. <laughs> thank you. It's actually, it's really cool to listen to. And I feel very privileged to, oh, to be sitting here <laughs> chatting to you about it. So I think my second last question would be, what does it feel like to be a young entrepreneur and a business owner who is, you know, on their own time yeah. and who is their own boss and currently you're employing people, yeah. you know, what, has this experience felt like for you? Very surreal. Um, <laughs> it's kind of amazing when people email me and they're like, hey, I tried to log on to the, the platform today and, you know, either something happened or like, hey, I thought this was really cool or, hey, I really want to be part of this. That's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's like a very weird experience to see people, you know, want to do something that six months ago was just an idea. Um, but it's also amazing. Like you wake up in the morning and you're like, it is so cool that I'm bringing something of value to these people. Um, and I'm kind of changing the way that an industry works. Um, that's a very surreal and amazing experience. And I feel very, you know, privileged to have the team that I do have that, that can help me solve these problems. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know what, this has been so insightful and, and enlightening, um, as I thought it would be. (laughs) Um, So I just want to finish off with one last question, which is how we finish all of our interviews here at the Pierce Project. And that is, what do you think is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? Yeah, I think if you're pursuing what you're most passionate about, it's no longer work. It's you're happy you know, you're excited every single day and every single moment to be solving this problem. And you're always going to have moments of frustration. Like it's, those are never going to go away, but at the end of the day, you can go to bed and be like, yeah, I'm really, really happy with what I'm doing. Um, and I think that that is immensely valuable. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Well, you know, I think that's just an amazing end to our conversation. So, you know, where can people learn more about you and your work? Yeah, well, definitely follow me on Twitter, um, Sam is Fierce, <laughs> <laughs> or uh, Instagram, um, you know, or, you know, visit our website, welltraveled.io. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks, Sam. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much. And for everybody listening, we'll end with that. Piers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.